Welcome to the Ivy Church podcast. For more podcasts and information about Ivy Church, go to ivychurch.org. I'm loving that we're in a year of mercy and that we're getting to spend some time together uh, connecting and, and learning more about Jonah because it has so much to teach us about God's mercy, which is something that everybody, every one of us and everybody that you meet or connect with needs more and more right now. We're living in very high stress times. It used to be that when you rang the doctor or spoke to a doctor, they might ask you, are you suffering stress? They don't do that anymore. They just assume it. Everybody's got, got stuff going on in their lives. And maybe you had some things before COVID. Maybe you've had things that have happened alongside COVID. But what's going on at the moment is everybody's just feeling more and more weight that's pressing down on them and pushing them down. Sometimes we can even feel it like a weight that presses us down when we wake up in the morning. Don't know if you've felt that. Or you go outside even and it just feels like this oppressiveness that's pushing us down all the time. And if you felt that, that's just normal. That's okay. That's, that's like life at the moment is the way it is but but we, we can pray we can connect to God and sometimes what will happen is it just lifts he lifts that off especially I found when I just pray three simple words when I pray Lord have mercy I just pray Lord have mercy that is a prayer that Jesus guaranteed that if we pray it and we mean it sincerely from our hearts God will answer God is listening to that prayer Lord have mercy I like to pray it with my hands open just to say to God I need you to give me what I what I need right now I need you to take away from me anything that I'm carrying that I don't need to be carrying Lord have mercy but I'll tell you what I think is one of the most important words out of that very short prayer it's the first one, Lord, Lord. Right now, as I said, everybody, everywhere needs some mercy and peace can settle into my spirit when I open my hands so that he can give me what I need and take away what I don't need to carry and all of that pressure. And then I start to pray, Lord, have mercy. Praying for my friends and family when I don't know what to pray. Lord, have mercy. When I'm praying for the church, Lord, have mercy. When I'm praying for the elders, when I'm praying for the staff team, when we have all kinds of changes going on right now, Lord, have mercy. I don't know what to pray. Why don't you join with me and just pray that? Praying for the prime minister, praying for government, praying for the NHS. Lord, have mercy. And I don't know what they need, but I know that mercy covers it. That's the amazing thing about mercy. Whatever it is, mercy has got it covered. Mercy covers it. That's what I love about mercy. See, Jonah started out with God calling him to go somewhere and do something for him, to go to Assyria, to go to this place called Nineveh, the capital city. And he said, go to that place and, and give them the message that I'm going to tell you to give. But we just saw on that video, instead, Jonah goes and does his own thing instead. He goes his own way. Proverbs 14 verse 12 says, there is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it leads to death. And what God's been speaking to me more and more this week, since the, and in fact, since the start of the year, is that actually, most of the time, following him is, is pretty simple because it's, it's fairly binary. We'd love it to be a lot less clear sometimes, but sometimes it's, it's one way or the other. It's, 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 it's God's way or my way. It's Nineveh or Tarshish. It's right or wrong. It's good or it's bad. And I don't get to define that. I get to discover it and decide whether or not I'm actually going to obey or go my own way. We've already said that when the Jewish people confess their sins on the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, they say, 
I am Jonah, because they recognise that sin really isn't just some list of bad things I might do. It's instead me choosing, I'm going to do what I want to do. That's really what sin is. Even if I say I'm a Christian, you know, maybe we said a prayer at some point, some variation on that prayer that said, Lord, I give you my life and I, I give my life to you. But do we mean Lord when we say that? Do we actually mean Lord? Or is it just something that we used to start a prayer with? Is it just a religious word? Like it was in a sense for Jonah when he said, I'm a Hebrew and I serve the Lord. See, what this can actually mean is, God, I want you to be the bin man. God, I want you to take away all the rubbish in my life, all of my past mistakes, anything that I've ever felt guilty about, anything I've ever done wrong, I want you to just take any, any consequences and minimise them from all the times when I've been in charge of this car I'm driving that's called my life and any crashes that I've made, I want you to kind of be my no claims protected bonus that just sorts it all out without penalty to me. But by the way, I'm still driving I'm still behind the wheel and the places I'm going to go from now on and the plans that I'm going to make, I'm still in charge of them. And I, here's, your, here's my part is to be in charge and your, your part, Lord, is to be the blesser of my plans. I want to decide what I'm going to do and you'd better bless what I decide. And if you don't, I need you to know, God, your part then will be, I fully deserve to be able to blame you. When it all goes wrong. Amen. Now listen, if we actually start to pray prayers like that, we better not call him Lord. We better not start a prayer like that with Lord because as it's been said, he's either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. God says Nineveh. Jonah says Tarshish. So who's Lord? Jonah Jonah's still Lord and we are too when we put God in charge of blessing what I want to do my plan rather than showing me what he wants me to do and me following him see we say I'm going to marry that person I'm going to spend that money I'm going to take that job I'm going to quit that job I'm going to move to that place we feel free to be able to do so but did we actually ask God? Did, did we get some counsel from anybody else? Did we look at what his word might say? Did we even pray? Did we actually seek God? And if we felt maybe he was saying no, did we even listen to that? Or did we just shrink God down so small that we can say to him, this is my plan. I want you to be in charge of blessing it. I was talking in this week to a guy who recently met, a Christian police officer. Who, you know, we're getting to know one of these. He said, I'll tell you my life story. He said that when he was a teenager, he was just fired up and full on for God. He said, I'd go anywhere, do anything that God wanted me to do to serve him. And then he went to university and he said he met a girl. And this, she was going the other way, this girl. She was headed to Tarshish, if you like. And then here's the phrase that he said, and it really struck me. He said, I put God then in a box he said I put God in a box for years he did that eventually they got married and later it all came crashing down he said you know I put God in a box and and that really struck me when he just he said it in passing that that phrase and 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 then he said but you know what now 
God's given me a second chance and I'm not going to waste it. He said, I just now want to live the rest of my life and do whatever I can to help other people know the Lord and be able to find him. And I'm in the same job now, doing the same thing, but a totally different because, because God's in charge of it now. Do we put God in a little box so that we can go our own way, so that I can decide to go the way that I want to go rather than discover what it is that he wants us to do? See, the thing is, if, you think, if I think I've put God in a box, I have not put God in a box. I've put an idol in the box. I've put a false God in the box because God is always going to be way too big for any box that I might make myself. And if I decide to go with my plan, listen, God will always bless his plan. He'll always bless his plan. But if you put yourself in charge of your plans, who's responsible for making them work and making it happen? I'll tell you, you are. You'd better work really, really hard to make that plan that you made and that you want work out. Because God never said that he would bless your plans. It's uncommanded labour. You see, people say, well, I don't know, you know, I don't feel like God spoke to me. But the main way he does this is not some booming voice, maybe like, I don't know whether Jonah got that, some, some go to Nineveh kind of external voice. Now we have the Holy Spirit and his voice is on the inside. Very often it's through our conscience that he'll just whisper, Nineveh, Nineveh. If I keep short accounts with God, a tender conscience... That voice is going to get louder and louder and clearer and clearer. It's like any relationship. If you stop listening, I'll stop talking. If you ignore me all the time, why should I keep on telling you more? If you won't do the last thing that I asked you to do, why should I invite you to do another thing? Hebrews chapter 3 says, Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your heart what does that mean hardening your heart well in C.S. Lewis book The Magician's Nephew that I recently reread there's a character called Uncle Andrew and when Aslan who represents Jesus of course sings at the beginning of Narnia to get everything started it says this Uncle Andrew disliked the song very much it made him think and feel things that he did not want to think or feel then when the sun rose and he saw the singer was a lion, he tried his hardest to make believe that it wasn't singing and never had been singing. It was only roaring as any lion in a zoo in our world might. He soon heard nothing but roaring. He couldn't have heard anything else, even if he wanted to. How terrible. That's hardening your heart. That's when you go your own way and you get really busy doing something else further and further away from God so you can't hear him. Jonah, remember, was a prophet. He had a call this way, but he went to Joppa and then he got in the boat going the other way and all the time he was closing down, hearing God more and more and more. So the only way that God could wake him up was to send a storm, to shake him up. Jonah's plan, his disobedience, took him into a cyclone. The boat is sinking. Others around him are suffering. The sailors are used to storms, but they know there's something supernatural about this one. They're all saying, we need to pray to our gods. We need to pray to our gods. Our gods aren't working. Our idols aren't, are failing us. And then they go to Jonah, and, they, and he says, I'm a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord. The Lord. Really? John Newton 
was brought up as a Christian by his mother. He prayed, she prayed when he was young that he would grow up to be a minister one day. But she died at the age of 11. Her, his father took him to sea and uh, he ended up, um, by his own admission in the Navy, over years he just gave himself more and more to sin. He actually was known by the other sailors as the great blasphemer because his language was so bad even for sailors. He loved, he said, to lead other people into sin. He loved especially if there was a believer to do anything that would undermine their faith. And then one day he deserted the Royal Navy and he was captured and he was basically enslaved. And then from there he ended up being put in charge of slave ships. How how low can you go? One day on another slave ship, which was just coming off Ireland near Donegal, on his way back to Liverpool... A terrible storm arose in the middle of dangers, toils and snares. He remembered one Bible verse from Proverbs. As the man standing next to him was swept overboard into the sea and he cried out, Lord, have mercy. And the Lord did. And he landed, he arrived, a new man. He actually did become a minister and he campaigned against the evils of racism, the ultimate racism of slavery. Most famously, he wrote those words, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. John Newton knew he was a wretch. He knew he needed the Lord's mercy to turn him around. Speaking of racism, in February, we're starting a book group, a discussion that's looking at issues around racism and particularly how we can best tackle that in the church. You can find details of what's happening there on the website if you go to the What's On section. What you see, Jonah hated Ninevites. That was his racism. All Assyrians, in, you know, but I think maybe Ninevites in particular. And Nineveh was the ultimate pagan city. It represented everything that Israel hated. It was this terrible, vicious place, full of enemies, full of people worshipping false gods. So Jonah hated the people there, all of them. He hated them so much that he didn't even want them to change. See, there's a particular deep, nasty, horrible kind of hatred when you don't even want the other person to change. You don't want them to have a a chance of redemption. You want them to carry on the way that they are. You don't even want them to change for the better. That's really low. That's really deep, very twisted. And remember, this isn't just someone in particular. This is all of Nineveh, all the Ninevites, which means that Jonah is a racist. That's why, he, one of the reasons anyway, that he goes away. He goes his own way. When the, storm, when the storm wakes him up, a big fish has to come and catch him and he prays and then he turns around and then he ends up coming back and God brings him back onto dry land there in Israel. God turned him around. Jonah is now soaking wet. Jonah's covered in slime. He's not in Tarshish where he wanted to be. He's on the coast of Israel where God's going to speak to him again. But what's he going to say? What's God going to say now? That's the big question. Can God still use him after all of the ways in which he's messed up? Or is God going to just wash his hands of Jonah and use somebody else? I'll just say, you know what? It's hard. It's hard to use humans. I'm going to just do this myself. Does he do that? No. Here's how Jonah 3 starts, and I love it. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh, and proclaim to it the message 
I give you. That's so encouraging to me because it means if God can use Jonah, he can use you. He can use me. And actually what he used Jonah for was to bring revival to a whole city. So what's your excuse? It's not too late. Maybe God's just getting started. God can still use you and he can still use me because of his mercy. God loves to give us a second chance. So he comes to Jonah and he says, go and do what I told you to do. You're forgiven. Now you're free not to do what you want, but you're free to do what I want. That's true freedom. See, we've made individualism our God. And our guiding principle for that means, means that freedom means I get to do what I want to do. But all I did was land Jonah in a mess. No, real freedom is doing what God wants. Real freedom is doing what God wants. God never changed his plan. He still had something in mind for the Ninevites and he could still use Jonah as long as Jonah did what God said. As long as when Jonah said, Lord, he meant it. That's the difference. The word of the Lord came a second time. Jonah doesn't get what he deserves. He gets what he needs. He gets a reset. He gets a recommission. Same place, same people, same job, go. And this time Jonah does it. A long journey on land, 500 miles northeast to this huge city. It says here it would take three days to walk across the city. As soon as he walks in the gate, he presses play. 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. That's the message. 40 days and Nineveh, Nineveh will be overthrown. No big preach, no mention of God even when you look at it. No explanation, just an announcement. Over and over, he walks around the city. 40 days and Nineveh will be destroyed. 40 days, Nineveh will be overthrown. That's the word, overthrown. Nineveh's going to be overthrown. How do you imagine Jonah said that? There's not a lot of scope for interpretation here. He's just the postman, really, delivering the message. But, you know, sometimes it's not just what you say, it's how you say it that makes a big difference. And again, this, is, to me, is really encouraging. Because if you and I think, oh, I couldn't possibly talk to anybody about God. I don't know what I'd say, and I don't know how God could use it. And, and I'm not very clever, and I don't know so many, much Bible, and I don't know if I could convince anybody else. Look at the state of his message. And you love people. But Jonah despised these people. They were not, as I say, individual people to him anymore. They were just a category who, who God should smash. That's who he thought they were, because he's racist. Why, Jonah, do you think these people need to be overthrown and destroyed? Well, because they're Assyrians, as he'd say. That's a good enough reason for me. The only good Assyrian, the only good Ninevite is a dead Ninevite. 40 days, you'll be overthrown. 40 days, Nineveh will be overthrown. That's what God told him to say, and I think he liked it. Thunder, hailstones, lightning, brimstone. 40 days and you'll be overthrown. But guess what? That word there, overthrown, in the Hebrew is is the word horfak. And it also can be translated as turned around. Turned around. 40 days and Nineveh will be turned around. And that's exactly what happens in just one day how much has, how often has the church taken god's word and weaponized it and used it to bring condemnation rather than mercy to people jesus said i did not come to condemn the world 
but so that the world might be saved through me. Who do we include in that? What do we include in that? I was reading John chapter 8. It says, one day when Jesus was teaching a crowd outside the temple, some self-righteous scribes and Pharisees, the word means separate ones, they brought a woman tied up, bound up, and, and stood her there in front of everybody. They interrupted his sermon, if you like. And they hated Jesus, these people, because they were hypercritical of other people. And he said, well, you're hypocrites yourself. So they stood this woman, maybe she's got her arms tied, she's bound up in front of him, caught in adultery, it says. And that would refer to marriage. There's this sexual sin that she's been caught in. And there's no mention of the man that she's done it with, by the way. Isn't that interesting? But they didn't care about adultery or marriage or holiness. All they wanted to do was to trap Jesus. And this woman, they didn't care about her. She's just a category to them. So they want to publicly shame her. And they use the Bible to do it. They say, in the law... In, it says here, Moses commanded us to stone such women. See, again, she's just a category to them. Just a category. Now, what do you say? They were using these words, he says, as a trap. Notice those words. She's caught, trapped. There's two traps. The woman has been caught. The woman they're humiliating in this wrong relationship. And they want to trap Jesus in a wrong reaction to her. If he says okay stone her then they'd say to the crowd oh this is the guy who says we've got to love one another look at him if he says no let her go what about the law of God they'll say he doesn't care about the Bible so what does Jesus do well first of all he wants to protect her dignity they don't care about that he wants to be alone so that he can talk with her because she's not a category she's a person God never sees categories he only sees his children Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. Why? Well, people have come up with all kinds of reasons. They kept badgering Jesus, demanding an answer. Maybe he's just giving himself some time to think and pray. That's often a good thing to do. Could save us a lot of trouble. Some say he's writing out the Ten Commandments. Other people say he's writing out the secret sins of the accusers because he knows them because he's God. And we don't know. We don't know why he was writing. It doesn't tell us. But then finally it says, Jesus stood up and said, okay, if any one of you has never sinned, fire away. And then he stooped down again and carried on writing in the dirt, just dooby dooby doo. And they all wandered off, dropping their stones, the oldest first, because now they've stopped judging her and started to judge themselves. They wanted to parade her sin in public, but Jesus wants to speak with her in private. And now, in her moment of greatest shame, this woman is standing in front of the most holy person who ever walked the earth right there in front of her, just a few feet away. And one day, all of us, every one of us, will also stand before God and give an account for our lives. And if she's anything like me, whenever I've encountered God's holiness, I just do, I actually want to run and hide. I just feel worse than ever. So then Jesus says, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, Lord. No one, Lord. She calls him Lord. Then Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Now go on and leave your sinful ways. What's he saying? You can be free now. You can live a new life. Was she perfect or without sin? No, she didn't pretend that she was. The Lord didn't say, go and do whatever you want. 
he doesn't just pretend that our sexual sin doesn't matter, like we might say in our day. Jesus doesn't say that, but he guarded her dignity before her accusers. And now in private, very, very gently, he shows her mercy. A mercy that doesn't condone her, but doesn't condemn her. He doesn't just affirm her sexual choices and say, as long as it makes you feel good, as long as it feels like you're loving, it doesn't matter. He doesn't say that. Why? Because he loves her. Because he cares about her. Because he can see the pain that the path that she's chosen has led her to. And he wants her to turn around. God's mercy means I don't get what I deserve, but I get what I need. And God's mercy forgives me and frees me. God's mercy forgives me and frees me. I want to invite you to meet and accept God's mercy today when we pray in a few moments and I want you to say like I'm going to say Lord I'm like Jonah I am Jonah I choose my way my own way but today I want to turn it all around and if there's a habit that you need to break if there's a relationship you need to break off do it today don't put it off one hour one minute longer send the text finish the thing it's going to end in death It's going to end up, it's not going to give you life. If it's sin, in the end, it's going to lead you to death. If you need help, if you need support to break a habit, sort it. Do it. Do whatever you need to do. If if your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out, Jesus said. Don't make him have to send a storm. Come to Jesus. He won't condemn, but he won't condone. He doesn't even condemn us to live that old life any longer. He says you're free to live a new life. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. God's mercy forgives me of my past and it frees me for a new future. See, Jonah had only set off one day on his three-day get-em-God tour across town when something that would really, really annoy him happened way faster than anybody might have expected. And we'll see next week what he thought about it. What happens? Again, this is so encouraging. When we wonder if God could use me because he used Jonah even though he didn't like anybody there. The whole city, everybody, animals included, people that you'd never expect to say yes to God, all... Each and every one say no to sin and yes to God. It doesn't take 40 days. Revival starts in one day. The nation is turned around. It's not overthrown. It's turned upside down and turned around. Verse 5, then the people of Nineveh believed in God. Wow! Historians say actually that around this time the Assyrians had seen some earthquakes and eclipses and plagues. The hard times that they'd seen, perhaps they'd prepared them for a move of God in their generation. I'm so excited to be part of the planning team with Andy Hawthorne for Festival Manchester 2022. Join us at Greater Manchester Prayer this Thursday evening. We're going to say a little bit more about it. We're believing that in that year, we're going to gather thousands and thousands of people in Withenshaw Park, and we want to give them the opportunity to say yes to Jesus. And as he turns this pandemic nightmare around, and God can do it. Do you know that? Do you believe it? Anybody? God can do that. God can turn it around. God can turn anything around. He can turn anyone around. The Ninevites were these nasty, violent, idol-worshipping, warmongering 
they were worshipping Dagon, the fish god, by the way, interestingly enough. And then Jonah arrives with one sentence from God, and they believed God. There's a supernatural move. And I, I believe God wants to do that in our day too. But the way it's going to happen, it has to start with this. We need to settle this lordship issue. Each one of us, everybody watching this today, everybody listening to this, you need to settle the lordship issue today. At the start of this year, there's nothing going to be more important for your years in the future than to this. Don't, this isn't about, oh, I was a Christian way back when. Is he Lord? Is he in charge? Or are you really? Everything else flows out of that. So we're going to deal with that. We're going to look into that really clearly. God can turn anything around. God can turn anybody around. His mercy can turn anything around around and anybody around see since the first church started and ever since then throughout the history of revivals we see that when false gods fall when people face their own mortality then cities regions whole nations can be changed God is shaking everything right now so that only what is shaken will remain it happened in Nineveh and if it happened in Nineveh it can happen in Manchester they believed in God and called a fast, put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least. When the word reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, laid aside his robe and covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes. He issued a proclamation in Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles. Do not let man, beast, herd or flock taste a thing. Do not let them eat or drink water. But both man and beast must be covered in sackcloth. And let men call on God earnestly, that each may turn from his wicked way and from the violence which is in his hands. Who knows, God may turn and relent and withdraw his burning anger so that we will not perish. And then you come to verse 10, the God of mercy. When God saw their deeds and that they had turned from their wicked ways, then God relented concerning the calamity which he declared he'd bring upon them. And he did not do it. They didn't get what they deserved. They got what they needed. So I'm going to invite the band to come up and we're going to start to pray and ask God, how should we respond to this word? Because the Lord says, Nineveh. Maybe next time God says to you something. What do you say? What are we going to do? Is he Lord? Is he actually Lord? If we love him, he says, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. He says, why do you call me Lord, Lord? And do not do what I say. He said, there's going to come a day when many will come and, and say, Lord, Lord, did we not do this? And did we not do that? And he's going to say, I never knew you. We need to settle the lordship question. And it means this, you're not free to do whatever you want, but you can be free to do everything God wants. Just start to pray and connect with him. See, this is the, the good news that sets us free. Come Holy Spirit, speak to every heart. Maybe, maybe I'm not going to kneel, but maybe you need to be on your knees. I can't do it here, but... Maybe we'll fast. Maybe there's something you need to give up. Maybe just miss lunch today and, and spend this afternoon praying and sorting it out with God. Seeking the Lord, hearing what he wants you to say and what he wants to say to you and what he wants you to do next. 
The king said, let us call on God earnestly and turn away from our wicked ways. Lord Jesus, personally speaking, I really do. I just want you to be my Lord. And I'm so sorry for all the times and all the ways when I've shut down your voice and I've tried to put you in a box so I could just do my own plan. I don't want that anymore. I want your plan, wherever it leads, whatever it takes. I offer my life back to you and I, I, I turn around from my pride. I turn around from all my false gods, from wrong dreams and desires. Each and every plan that I would make or I've ever made that didn't include you. I don't want you to just bless my plans. I'm not doing that. I want your plan because I know that will be blessed. And thank you, Lord, for the second chance. Thank you for your word that comes to me now another time. Thank you that you've come to me. Thank you for this turnaround possibility of amazing grace. Thank you for the cross that saves a wretch like me. That I don't get what I deserve because you paid the price for all of my sins. You died for my rebellion. You died for my independence, my hatred of others, any racism, any any trace of, of holding unforgiveness or the possibility that somebody else couldn't change and I wouldn't want them to. I, I let go of that and release them into your purposes. I put that on the cross too. It's ugly. Any wrong relationships, any wrong agreements, any wrong part, anything I've partnered with that you never wanted me to give me strength now to break it off in the name of Jesus so I can be free and Lord as I confess my sins I know you don't condone it but you don't condemn me thank you Lord you set me free now not to do what I want but to do what you want to be who you want me to be and go where you want me to go today and tomorrow and wherever to leave my life of sin and live a new life, forgiven and free because of your mercy. And now when I say, Lord, say that word, Lord. When I say, Lord, have mercy, I mean it. Because you are Lord of all. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more podcasts, go to ivychurch.org media. 